All right. It's great to be here. If you could open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, please. Chapter 7. This is where we'll be this, this afternoon. We're going to talk about a text that only Luke includes. The other Gospels don't include this account. And sometimes we wonder, uh, where did Luke get this? Since the other Gospels don't include it. We know from the book of Acts that Luke is called uh, the beloved physician. And he traveled with the Apostle Paul, especially toward the end of his third missionary journey. And was with the Apostle Paul all the way through to the end of the Apostle Paul's life. It's interesting that in Paul's last letter that we have in 2 Timothy, Paul writes, only Luke is with me. And so how gracious of the Lord to bring a physician alongside of the Apostle Paul, because in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12, we read all about all the, all the physical difficulties Paul went through. And so his body must have been just beat up, absolutely beat up. Uh, there were three times he was beaten with rods, which was 39 times each situation. And all I can think of is cracked ribs, cracked vertebrae, uh, contusions. Uh, when he was uh, stoned to death over in the first missionary journey, um, you don't get stoned to death by just getting hitting, hit on your feet. You know, you get hit in the head. And, and so what, sometimes you don't, you don't consider all that he went through. Um, and so to have Luke be with him, and it's interesting as you follow the book of Acts, you see that Luke went with Paul when Paul went to Jerusalem and then got arrested. And then they, they sent Paul to Caesarea on the coastline, and he was there for two years. So what was Luke doing during that time? And, and then think about chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Luke, when all of this detailed information comes out about John the Baptist's parents, and then what happened with Mary there in chapter 2, all that detail, and you can see here is this physician used to detailed reports, probably giving interviews with people all, all during those two years. The, the text doesn't say how he gathered this, but as you kind of piece it together, it's very likely, considering the detail, that he was able to have personal interviews and detail that he included in his gospel. And this is one account. It's an interesting account, and there's some cultural realities that we're not used to that I'm going to have to bring out because it fills in the story and it gives us some understanding of what's going on. And so it, it's an incident where this Pharisee, who is not a believer, doesn't want to be a believer, wants to scorn Jesus and find accusation against Jesus. He and his buddies set up this dinner and they invite Jesus to come to the dinner. And now the disciples aren't included in this story, so it's just Jesus. And then as, as they uh, sit down for dinner, and we'll talk about sitting down here in a minute, but 
Then this, this woman bursts into the room, into the courtyard, and starts um, crying over Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair and, and um, kissing his feet and anointing his feet with oil. And this was so appalling to this Pharisee, the owner of the house, plus his buddies didn't appreciate it either. And so we're going to see how Jesus dealt with the woman and how he dealt with Simon the Pharisee. And there's something that just hit me so strongly as I went over this recently. What I saw was how self-righteousness blocks us from seeing people as God sees them. And so we're going to talk about that this afternoon. And so I'm going to read chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, and then we'll start with a word of prayer. All right? Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father God, we're asking for your ministry to us from this text this afternoon. We are here, we've gathered here, not just to hear a Bible study, but to hear from you. You have this ability to speak to our hearts, 
You know what's going on in our life. And we ask, Lord, we invite you to speak personally to us and go deep with us, Lord. And we thank you in your kindness and in your grace and in your truth. You speak the truth to us. So bless this time in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to take this text and I'm going to break it into three parts. And the first part is verses 36 to um, 39, and that's called the rude intrusion. So some of you are taking notes. Make it, it's easy. And by the way, I would encourage you to take notes because it helps you focus as you break things down. And sometimes in the middle of, of teaching, whether you're listening to uh, Pastor Kevin or, or to anyone else, it's like the Lord will speak to your heart about something that was said. And I think it's important just to write that down. Write it down in the, in the front of your Bible or the back of your Bible. It's okay to write in your Bible. Really, it's okay. I had um, just a side note before we get into it. Um, we were putting together our family trust and, and our will. And on the back page was special items you want to be sure go to certain people. So we have three sons. My wife and I have been married 54 years. And so I asked my oldest son, Dad, I said, what, what do you want? Anything special you want, I'll write it down. He says, Dad, I want your cars. <laughs> and I went, you're not having my cars. I mean, they're my cars. So just, I, okay, that's fine, fine. Second son, he says, you know, Dad, I, there's really nothing that stands out to me. I says, how about... How about the grandfather clock that my dad made? He goes, I don't want that clock. I hate that clock. <laughs> so I said, okay, okay, fine. And then my third son, who's 43, he says, Dad, I want your Bible. My Bible? Why do you want my Bible? He says, because I want to see all the places that God spoke to you and you underlined and highlighted them. And I'm, I'm going... Man, I gotta get busy here. <laughs> I gotta start. I gotta really work on this, because because you know when you get a brand new Bible, there's something about it that you crack it open. It it crinkles when you crack it open, and there's just that wonderful ink smell. I don't know. It's it's. I've been a Christian 54 years, and um, I used to be a hippie, and I was wondering if they snuck hallucinogenics in here. You know, but. Um, Anyway, um, mark up your Bible. Underline it. Date it. Because sometimes God gives you a word for your situation or a promise for your, what you've been praying for. Date it. Put it down. Because it's for later. Or it's for somebody else who may get your Bible when the Lord takes you home. All right. So, what, Okay. Part one, the root intrusion, verses 36 to 39. Part two, the revealing illustration, verses 40 to 43. And part three, the response of great forgiveness, verses 44 to 50. Let's start here. I want you to take a look at verse 36 carefully. 
Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. We all remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man up in the tree, and Jesus said, today I'm going to be at your house. So there were times Jesus invited himself, but this is not one of them. This Pharisee invited him, and Jesus knew what he was walking into, and it wasn't pretty. What he was walking into was a bunch of unbelief and scorn and accusation. And you hear Simon in his own thoughts um, just expressing that scorn and scoffing about Jesus. So why would he walk into something that, was, that he knew was going to be difficult and hard? because the Father was leading him to go. Jesus said, what I have seen the Father do, that I do. What I have heard the Father say, that I say. And it reminds me that there are times when the Lord directs us to take steps that are going to be awkward for his own purpose. When Jesus stepped into this, it was for the sake of the woman and for the sake of Simon and for the sake of his friends that he invited to dinner. It's not all about us. There are times that God wants to use you and I in service to him, and it's going to be a difficult time because you know you're going to step into things that are going to be really difficult. But God has a purpose in it. And so we see that purpose as we've read our text. So don't be afraid to step into difficult, maybe even awkward situations if the Holy Spirit is really prompting you to do it. It doesn't have to always feel good. It just has to be right. I know that there are um, holidays coming up where family is going to get together, maybe relatives from far away are coming in, and sometimes it's hard to sit down with some of your relatives because you know who they are. And you know they're just a bit condescending, and and they want to, you know, they want to say, oh, oh, Bob, you're kind of a minister. Why don't you pray for our meal? And everything in you just wants to dump the truck on them, you know, and just say, you know, tell you what, Genesis to Revelation right here, and and you can't. And the Holy Spirit is like yanking you back and going, just be nice, love them. Don't throw your mashed potatoes at them. Don't just be nice. And you because you, you don't know how God wants to use it, even though it's uncomfortable. Don't let comfort block you from being used by the Lord. Or let's just say uncomfortableness. Comfort is not a gate that faith must pass through. Because following Jesus doesn't go through a gate of comfort. It goes through a gate of obedience. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house. The disciples didn't go, but he went. And it says, sat down to, me, sat down to eat. Now, unfortunately, the English translation of this gives us an idea like we're sitting down here in chairs. But that wasn't culturally how they had dinner back then. They, they ate around a low table 
and they had pillows or benches that they would lie on and they would prop themselves up with their left elbow and eat with their right hand and maybe with their left hand. And, and everybody would be facing each other and their feet are sticking out in the back. And, and that was just cultural at the time. Doesn't sound too, too bad, actually, you know, especially if you're tired and you're relaxing and, and all. So just next time you invite somebody to dinner, do that. And just say, hey, we're going to have a Bible dinner tonight. And just see what happens. It may be interesting. And so this explains, this cultural setup explains some of how logistically this all took place. And let's consider this here. And by the way, also culturally, when a guest came to your house, the first thing you would do is you would have uh, yourself or a servant um, take off the sandals when they came in the doorway, take off the sandals, and then bring a basin and then wash wash the person's feet. I don't think they had fairy washing up liquid. They just washed their feet with, with water and they took a towel and they dried off the feet. And it was a thing of refreshment. And then there would be a kiss of greeting. And depending on the culture, you know, you either go right, left, or right, left, right, or it depends. You just have to get that right or you smash faces. So that, that was just a kiss of greeting on the cheeks, not on the lips. And the third thing you would do is you would take a, a dab of fragrant oil, usually rose oil in these days, and you'd, and you'd touch it on the guest or, or pour a little on the guest to represent the, the blessed, blessedness of the fellowship they were going to have. And so that, that was just normal. That's what you did. Hospitality was huge in those days. It, it trumped so many things. And so we find out that this didn't happen with Jesus. And that was really a disrespect, a major disrespect. And then in verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask, a fragrant oil stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, another cultural setup in how houses and, and dwellings were built, especially the more well-to-do people. They would have an open courtyard that they would have their, their dining in, especially for special events. And then the dwelling would be built around that courtyard. And then there was an opening in the courtyard. And whenever there was a rabbi or a teacher that came in, they would leave the door to the courtyard open so that those passing by would be able to overhear and hear some of the wisdom that's being presented. That's how the woman came in. She did just climb down through the roof. She didn't, you know knock on the door and wait for somebody to answer, all of a sudden she comes into the area without invitation. Because of what she did, it's very likely that she watched Jesus and followed him to the Pharisee's house and was looking in at how they treated him. 
because she did exactly what the Simon the Pharisee did not do. And it says here in verse 38, she stood at his feet behind him weeping. This woman is identified only as a sinner several times. Uh, no name is given to her. And the one thing that we find with her is that she couldn't stop crying. There are two, at least two words for crying in the New Testament. One is um, sadness where you shed tears. And that happens sometimes when you know, you're watching a movie and you see it end and then you just kind of tear up. I mean, the older I get, it's like, why do I watch Hallmark movies? I, I, I just don't understand why I do it. Because at the end, something weird happens and I end up crying and I have to put sunglasses on because I don't want my wife to see me crying. But then there's the other kind of weeping, which is convulsively sobbing where you are mourning and the grief is so deep you cannot stop crying. I've had those times. I can't believe how much water comes out of my eyes. Uh, you're crying so hard you, you can't breathe anymore. You're, you're out of breath. That's the description, that's the word that's used in the Greek for this weeping. She isn't just sad that they disrespected him. <coughs> Something has gone on in her life that has completely changed her life. Um, a few Bible commentators believe that the timeline that this occurred in was right after when Jesus gave the command, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for my, uh, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Her reputation was known all through town. What happened to this lady's life? She used to be a young girl. She, what was going on in her life that so ravaged her life and, and put her on such a downward spiral. Most Bible commentators uh, agree that she prob this probably included prostitution. There were Roman soldiers all around. Nobody wanted to touch her. She was alone. She was broken. And she needed hope. You might say that there were um, tattoos on, his, on her heart from all that had happened. You know, my, my grandsons have tattoos, and it all starts with one, doesn't it? And every tattoo has a story. I love going into the market to the people selling, and when they have tattoos, I say, tell me about your tattoos. Well, which one? I says, well, the first one. And they go, well, let's see, uh, you know, and they find it. I said, tell me the story. Every tattoo has a story because it's my way of opening up and trying to get 
the gospel in. And so they'll talk about their tattoos because once you start with one, you got to fill up the space. Um, it's kind of like when my wife puts up a picture on the wall, then we find that there's space between that picture and the end of the wall. So we have to fill that up. And then, wait a minute, um, we have to do it on the other side too. And then, you know, that wall, then there's another wall. And so all of a sudden, that's kind of how tattoos work. You, you have to fill in the space. Once you start, my grandson had a skull tattoo here on his uh, shoulder. And he thought it was really cool until he went to enlist in the Marines, U.S. Marines. And they saw that tattoo and they said, that's got to go. And he goes, why? I like that. That's got to go. We don't have those that kind because that represents something that's against what we do. He had no idea. So he had to go back to the tattoo parlor and have a bunch of it blocked out and have it created into something. You know, it reminds me of old sailors who used to have a big ship tattooed across their chest. You know when they get old and saggy, the ship sinks. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just a visual. Sorry about that. You can't unsee that, okay. <laughs> but this woman had, you might say, tattoos on her heart of damage, life-wrecked, shame, guilt, abused. What can blot that out? Well, I just want to tell you, the Lord is the one who blots out the heart, blots out the transgressions. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Praise the Lord. He's the healer of the heart. Actually, he gives us a new heart. When you surrender your life to Christ, you believe on Christ with all your heart. He gives you a heart that is moldable. It's, it's a new heart, not a reconditioned old heart. It's a new heart altogether. What a wonderful thing. Psalm 51, verses 9 and 10. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Do you know that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, he blots out your sin? That means that he doesn't look at you through your sin anymore. He looks at you through the righteousness of Christ, the robe of righteousness that he's given to you, purchased by his blood. And so when this woman was weeping over him, washing his feet, but there's no soap, there's just her, an abundance of tears. And she's wiping his feet with her hair, which means that all the dirt on his feet was now being borne by her. Her hair now carried all that dirt. It, it, when I was reading this, it reminded me how, as disciples, we are called to bear the reproach of Christ. We're to take upon ourselves the reproach that the world sends to him. 
It's called fellowshipping in the sufferings of Christ, as Paul writes to the Philippians. And so when she walked out of that place, all that dirt was still in her hair. She willingly did that. And then it says, then she kissed his feet. And Jesus clarifies later on that she has, in verse 45, she has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came forth. And the word for worship in the New Testament means kissing the feet of a sovereign. Proskuneo, I believe it is. And so uh, it has to do with when a royalty came in, you would bend down, kiss the ground, or kiss the feet, and, and it's your way of doing homage and all. And she's worshiping. The kissing of the feet of Jesus was her worship. And that worship was sending its own fragrance to the throne of God. We know from Scripture it's very clear that when our prayers go up to the Lord with a heart that is pure and clear, it's as incense coming before his throne, a fragrant incense, a worship. But just doing rote prayers or reading the Bible or doing religious things doesn't necessarily send up incense to the throne. It's not how long you pray. It's not how many uh, verses you memorize. It's not how many chapters you read in the Bible. It's not how much you've given to the church. It has to do with a heart that's broken open so the fragrance can come forth. A broken heart sends forth a different kind of fragrance than just religious duty. And the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And some of you, I'm, I'm guessing, have been through some terrible life situations and you would like to have the Lord erase it all like I'd never experienced it, but it is still part of your life. It's a part of your life. You can't deny it. You can't get away from it. But understand, the Lord will not despise or turn away from a broken heart. And here we have this, this gal who is weeping, not because some, something was lost, but the gratefulness of, of the burden of her sin and, and the shame lifted off of her. And for the first time in her life, she felt freedom. She felt light. And, and she, she couldn't stop crying for the joy of it. How different than this Pharisee. And this was going on. And then finally, she anointed him, his feet with a fragrant oil. Now, if you're eating at a pub or a restaurant and the, and the server, like one row over, absolutely has the tray tip over and everything crashes on the tile floor and breaks into a million people, you, uh, pieces rather, uh, don't you know that all the conversation stops? I mean, whatever you're doing, everybody stops talking because they're trying to find out what's going on. Imagine this courtyard when this woman came in 
I don't think they kept their conversation going. I think they just stopped. And all they could hear was her crying. And then the fragrant oil filling the whole courtyard. Were they impacted? Not for good. They were, they were very uptight. And you see the scorn of the Pharisee in verse 39. The Pharisee who had invited him when he saw this, he spoke to himself. Didn't speak it out loud, spoke to himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You see, with the Pharisees, they didn't even want to have their robe brush against somebody who was a known sinner, lest they should be defiled. That's called self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is when you take your opinions, your beliefs, your uh, preferences, and you elevate them to the level of Scripture. And you think, if, if they were wise enough, if they were holy enough, they would see that my way is the right way. That self-righteousness blocks you, blinds you from seeing people like Jesus sees them, 100%. Notice in verse 44, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, it's very possible the first time he actually turned and looked to the woman. So what was he doing while she was washing his feet and kissing his feet? I think he was just getting the understanding from the Holy Spirit on what's going on. And he's watching their faces. And then he turns to Simon. And then he asks this question, do you see this woman? And do you know, although Simon saw this woman, he didn't see her. All he saw was his own self-righteousness. But Jesus saw her. And I just want to say this afternoon, Jesus sees you. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're fighting with right now. And he knows what to do. And you've got to trust him. You've got to bring all of it to him because he's not, he doesn't want to push you away just like he didn't push this woman away. He wants to heal you. That's why he said, he didn't say, come to me and let me condemn you. He said, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I want to give you rest. I know what you need. So in this illustration that Jesus gave to Simon, he says, there was a certain creditor, verse 41, who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Now let's bring that into today. Whatever is a, a day's wage for a common laborer today in Wales, times that by 500. And that's what the debt was for this person. The second guy only owed 50 days wages. And then Jesus said when they had nothing with which to repay, he, for, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him more. And of course it was the one that... Um, 
was forgiven most. And, and then look at Simon's answer in verse 43. Simon answered and said, I suppose. He didn't want to like let the other guys know that he was really interested. But it was just, what a snob. <laughs> and so he says, I suppose is the one that he forgave most. Just here's here is God incarnate sitting at his table, and he's like going, yeah, you know, yeah, you're like small peas to me, and so. And then, Je I mean, Jesus is so gracious with the man because he says in verse forty-three, "You have rightly judged," and then he lowers the boom. He says, "You see, this woman, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet." Jesus knew what they did not do. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. It's not that Jesus doesn't know what we've been through, but he chooses not to see us through our sin. He knows everything I've He knows everything I've done. Because this could be said of me, his sins, which are many. And actually he could say that to all of us. Because it's not just the sins of outward disobedience is sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes, sinful words. Um, you might have been, you might have grown up in a Christian home and you never really backslid and sowed wild oats and did all that. But I tell you what, still, your sins are many because it's the sinful attitudes, the sinful thoughts, the selfishness, all that blocks you from God. And that's why you need Jesus not just religion. You need him, a relationship with him. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. The load is lifted, for she loved much. Now, this is not saying she loved much, so she was forgiven. This is an expression that her love was the result of the lifting of that burden because she believed on the Lord. Actually, some Bible commentators see that uh, that it should be um, actually um, her sins have been forgiven because she came in as an expression of the gratitude. Of course, those that sat at table, verse 49, they began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Notice he didn't get caught up in their arguments. He focused on the woman and, and she needed the assurance of his word. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When my girlfriend and I got saved at age 18, we both experienced this peace that surpassed understanding. We had gone together for a year and a half as boyfriend and girlfriend. Those are called BC days before Christ. Um, BC now means before COVID. <laughs> so 
but B.C. before Christ, there was just this lifting of the confusion, lifting of the defilement, lifting of the... uh, There was just a freedom that was there. We ended up getting married about six months later. So it's been a few years. But um, we found that it's so important for us to go back to that forgiveness, to forgive one another because he's forgiven us. People ask us, you know, how, do you, how did you end up getting, staying married for so long? And I said, well, she forgives me, and I forgive her. Because let me tell you, sins can crush affection, can't it? And then your heart stores up the hurt. It's not meant to be a marriage counseling Bible study here, but it's just, it's true. But at the end of the day here, I want you to consider how we need to see people like Jesus sees them. People might worship differently than we have chosen to worship, but that doesn't make their worship wrong because the Lord is the judge, not us. You go to different countries around the world and they all worship a little different in different languages. And just because there's a chorus you like and if they don't sing it, well, then they're not really worshiping. Are you kidding me? Really? Because... Having been to Siberia and meeting Christians in Siberia and then having, even though we didn't understand each other, there is like a, you can tell there was this connection with them and they sang their own songs. I I didn't know them. I had no idea. But, But you can tell they're worshiping the Lord and the incense is going up. So who am I to say that's not real worship? You see what I'm saying? It, it sneaks into self-righteousness. We want to see people as Jesus sees them and not end up like an accidental Pharisee here. And I think that's what the Lord wants for us uh, to remember here this afternoon. This was on my heart to share with you. I want to be like Jesus. I mean, the older I get, I want to know him more and get more simple along the way. Not sinful, simple. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this afternoon. Please, Lord, we're asking for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to change us from the inside out. Open our eyes, open our hearts to see you, to see your hand at work, to know you better, to know you more deeply, to be impacted by your love, by your grace, by your truth, by your mercy. And then use us, Lord, in these last days, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.